0: Thanks for joining us today. We're going to be talking about seven lost traditions of the church that can enhance your spiritual life. Stay with us.
1: For today's handshake, we want to talk about eye contact. This is something that has become more and increasingly lost today because we spend so much time looking at our computer screens, looking at our phones, that we forget when we interact with people as a sign of maturity and as a sign of respect for the other person. We need to make eye contact with them. It can be difficult, but we encourage you the next time and every time after that that you're meeting with somebody, look them in the eyes when you're having that conversation.
0: As always, we want to encourage you to subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and turn on notifications so that you can be notified whenever we release new content. And then finally, we want to uh, also invite you to support us on Patreon, support the work that we do here. If you've enjoyed this program, be sure to uh, consider making a donation so that we can bring this content to more people like you.
1: I know as I've grown in my faith and I've learned more things about the church and Mm -hmm. more devotions, I'm constantly experiencing those moments where I'm like, Mm -hmm. why has nobody told me about this, right? Yeah, right. right. And it it is frustrating at times. You know, and I can think about the same reverse of that is like, why aren't I telling more people about those? (laughs) You know, so here we are today to tell people about some of these great devotions and uh, traditions uh, that our church has but have been lost over the last um, 40, 50, 60, 100 years, you know, and uh, we feel that they help uh, focus man's life and year, calendar year, rightly, and yeah. so it's uh, it's important to talk about them.
0: Yeah, well, just to share a personal example of why these things are meaningful to me, um, as I grew up, as, as I've said before, Protestant, and we essentially, as Protestants, have little to no external traditions. Mm. Um, there's a few things, uh, but for the most part, Protestants don't like traditions. Mm. Uh, they try to destroy them at any opportunity. Yeah. But 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 the mindset is the mindset is we don't really need those things. Mm. Um, it, but the most that we had was like maybe reading your Bible and praying for a few minutes every day. That was like the the only like practice mm. uh, or tradition in our faith life. Becoming Catholic, I really discovered and, and was overjoyed to discover this huge treasury of external practices on which to anchor my faith. I'm sorry, we're incarnate beings. We need external markers. Of our faith. We need external ways to celebrate it and and uh, observe it. Um, and that can be liturgical feast days or things like that, but also devotional practices um, that we can employ into our spiritual life that can enhance our spiritual life and make it more tangible.
1: Yeah, I love it. And just to bring a practical example, not spiritual, is managing your budget, right? Something right. like that um, we often need to put, like Dave Ramsey recommends, putting it just on your refrigerator or, you know, on your um, bathroom mirror. Like how much money you have to spend this month, right? We need to see these things to experience right. them and live them. Right. And the same thing goes with our spiritual practices, but even more so because they're meant to bring us to eternal happiness and eternal reward mm, yeah. in, in heaven. So, you know, as G.K. Chesterton said, tradition is um, the democracy of the dead. Of the
0: dead, yes.
1: Yeah, and so with that, the first one that we want to talk about is scapulars.
0: Yes, yes. Well, scapulars are a wonderful sign for yourself. Sometimes even for others, um, I've been uh, getting a haircut before when my scapular started a conversation mm-hmm. with a fallen away Catholic. It was it was very cool.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, sometimes are these they can be external signs, but mostly because we wear them under our clothes, they're reminders for us. Yeah. But really, a scapular came out of a monastic habit. Yep. Um, that was um, this, they would wear a scapular over their shoulders. Scapular comes from the Latin word meaning shoulder. Mm-hmm. But um, if you've ever seen a Benedictine habit, they'll have like a black mm-hmm. um, under under uh, uh, robe or, or a cassock, mm-hmm. I guess. And then they'll have a black scapular over okay. the top, um, which is usually cinched up with a belt or mm-hmm. something like that. But it's a reminder of being under Mary's mantle. Yeah. Being under her protection, being devoted to her, being under her care. Now, and it's really a beautiful sign when we place a scapula around us, we're saying, I'm giving myself, my body, my mind, my soul to you, Blessed Mother. Um, And uh, every time we feel it or see it, um, it reminds us of our consecration to the Blessed Mother.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of different types of scapulars. Uh, the most prominent and the one that, you know, I, I'm a huge proponent of is the brown scapular. Yes. Right? And so there's the tradition that Our Lady gave the brown scapular to St. Simon Stock. And in that giving, she said, whoever wears this scapular and lives their life of chastity appropriately mm-hmm. will not go to hell. Will mm-hmm. avoid the pains of eternal damnation, mm-hmm. and so that's a huge promise that our ladies giving. And so you have to die while wearing the brown scapular. I miss that, right? So whoever you know uh, is wearing this on their deathbed. So that's part of the reason why we wear brown scapulars all the time right mm-hmm. it's that remembrance um memento mori it's that remembrance um of our death and that um mm-hmm. we want to have these reminders frequently so that we can um better live our lives for christ yeah and
0: yeah so like a brown scapular too is the carmelite scapular so yeah. i mentioned benedictine's wear a scapular well carmelites do too and again the carmelites uh, very, had a huge devotion to our Blessed Mother, they still do, um, and really what the, again, it's an external sign of a consecration of the heart, mm. and so when our Blessed Mother is saying, you know, you, you die wearing the brown scapular, you'll you'll avoid hell, um, what she's really saying is if you're devoted to me throughout your life, and on your, on your deathbed, and you still have that devotion, um, you're, you're going to go to heaven. Yeah. Um, what she's not saying is if you wear a brown scapular and you read a, lead a completely sinful, lascivious life... Yeah. ...that, you know, this just this piece of cloth is going to save you. That's not what she's talking about. Yeah, it's about. not
1: your get-out-of-jail-free. Yeah, right. yeah,
0: But there's another scapular that we've both worn before mm-hmm. that's very cool. Uh, it's called the five-fold scapular. Yeah. Not a
1: lot of people know about this one. No. And the fivefold scapular came about, right? So there's a lot of different religious orders and saints that were receiving these scapulars uh, through either locutions or through actual revelations, um, or just through practice mm-hmm. uh, to achieve a certain goal and become a member of a confraternity, which is you know a member of of the religious order that wears these scapulars. Mm-hmm. And so in 1807. Um, there was four scapulars around. The brown scapular was one of them. And then there was, uh, I think, the light blue scapular, the um, uh, the white scapular, and um, the black scapular. And so these scapulars all had different um, purposes or different promises or different practices associated with them but instead of wearing four scapulars you know on somebody the church approved that those could be put together into mm-hmm. kind of like a little booklet um, yeah. of scapulars. Later in 1847, um, they uh, brought in the, I think, the Red Passion Scapular. And, yeah. um, and so then now it's become known as the Five-Fold Scapular. Yes, yeah. And you want to talk about the enrollment within the Fivefold Scapular?
0: Well, I was enrolled in the Fivefold Scapular. It's been quite a few years yeah. now, so I don't remember the exact prayers. But it's very cool. One by one you go through each of these religious orders. Yeah. And you are essentially enrolled in the spiritual benefits of these religious orders. So their prayers and their sacrifices yes. are redounding to your benefit. So yeah. you have five religious orders I know. and all of their all of their sacrifices and prayers are you're participating in those those spiritual graces that, that um, their prayers are. Are obtaining and it's uh it's very cool but it's very like um nightly almost it like is. you feel like you're being uh, uh christened a knight <laughs> when you're going through this whole ceremony and it's pretty short but it's also very cool so if you haven't heard of the fivefold scapular, look it up uh, I think you'll find it find it very, very interesting.
1: Agreed. And so something that's interesting about the scapulars um, uh, to note is that when you are enrolled in a scapular and mm-hmm. it's placed over you by the priest and you've gone through the formal enrollment, which honestly takes like a minute. The fivefold is a little bit longer. And like you said, you're on your knees. So there's really like a sense of knighting, you know, within that um, but once you've been enrolled, you're always enrolled in the scapular. Now, to receive the benefits of it, you have to actually be wearing it. But if you go through a period of time, and I voice this to our older listeners, right? Mm-hmm. Prior to um, a lot of the reforms in Vatican II, all kids got enrolled in the brown scapular when they received their first communion. Yes. And so it was. Um, so actually, full circle in this uh, this thought process here is that if you stopped wearing the brown scapular, you're hearing this now and you're thinking, you know what, I need to learn more about this. You don't have to get re-enrolled. You just have to get a brown scapular and you just have to start wearing it. And so um, if you can't remember being enrolled, and I got a fun story where um, that same thing happened with two elder people uh, that I was talking to them about and a priest was going to enroll them. And then he said, wait a minute how old are you guys? And they were like, you know, we're in their 60s or whatever. And he's like, do you remember when you received First Communion, did they put one of these over you? And both of the individuals uh, said, yes, yeah, we do. And he's like, and you're already enrolled. We just yeah, need to wear it right. again. And so, you know, the the promises are given to the person through the action of wearing that brown scapular. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, there's, there's, there's other scapulars, the green scapular, things like that, that yeah. are all very beautiful and have their own histories and traditions. Look them up. Yeah. Uh, but wearing scapulars is a beautiful practice. Agreed. Uh, but next we want to talk about fasting on Fridays. Mm. This is another one that's kind of confused a lot of people um, lately, where they think, well, any kind of Friday sacrifice has been, has been abolished, right? That's like right. We don't have to fast on Fridays. It's totally optional now. Well, in a sense, yes, and in a sense, no. That's right. um, The church does say that we have a little more freedom to choose which sacrifice we make mm-hmm. on Fridays, but the traditional practice is fasting on Fridays, and it's a beautiful tradition that goes back to the very earliest days of the church. Yeah, I mean, as long as there's been historical records of liturgical practices and things like that, there there's been... The practice of abstaining from meat on Fridays and fasting on Fridays, yeah. um, and in fact, in the earliest days of the church, they fasted and abstained from meat on Wednesdays and Fridays. Yeah, um, things have been reduced a little bit to the point where it's just Fridays. But still, fasting on Fridays reminds us of the sacrifice of Christ. Yeah, uh, he gave up his life, his body, his soul, his, his heart. You know, for us, um, the least we can do is abstain from food or meat.
1: That's exactly right. And abstaining from something on Fridays is so serious that it's actually in canon law, right? So it's in canon law 1250 and 1251, where it is required for us to do something on Friday, some abstinence. Mm -hmm. They leave up to the Episcopal Conference of this region, right? So for us, the USCCB or that of the United States of America, the Bishop's Conference, to discern what it is that the abstinence might be. Mm -hmm. Um, And traditionally within the church, it was always abstaining from meat on Fridays, right? Mm -hmm. And we both love seafood, but that's not the point, right? (laughs) Right? The point is giving up something on Friday. We can't have, whether we love seafood, I also love steak, you know, I love meat. And I can't have, you know, tacos or hamburgers or steak on Friday. I I have to make that choice. Now what happened in 1966 was that pastoral letter that came out by the USCCB that basically said, you know um, you know in the church uh, the traditions have changed our life and our experiences and our um, affluence have changed that we are no longer making it a requirement that meat is that which you have to abstain from but each individual, can discern what form of abstinence would be better for their own soul and for their own salvation. And I just say that it's it's really sad that it just became a, oh, we don't have to have meat. We can have meat on Fridays now. We don't have to abstain from meat. Right. And it stopped there. So um, I, I voiced those um, 1966 pastoral document and, and the Code of Canon Law we are um, required to to do something, just as we are required to go to mass on Sundays to celebrate Christ's, um, you know, resurrection. We are uh, required to abstain from something on Fridays to remember His passion, suffering, and death for us.
0: That's right. Yeah, and it's it's hard for Americans because what Friday is like. Party time in a lot of Americans' minds. Like we're gonna, oh, we'll order, you know, a a meat lover's pizza, and you know, hang out and watch a movie and all this. It's Friday. You know, I mean, that's just, yeah, yeah. That's (laughs) that's kind of the mentality. But at the same time, that makes those sacrifices all the more valuable. Yeah. uh, Because they're that much harder. And um, at the same time, like again, we're remembering Christ's passion and death. Um, and, and yes, it's unfortunate that um, the kind of ambiguity around it has led people to completely abandon the practice, but I think it's something that is beautiful that we should still embrace. And I've seen a lot of Catholics actually picking this practice back up, um, and I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing.
1: It is. And I would say, again, to that idea of ordering our year, it's so great because on solemnities, Um, or first-class feast days, right, Uh, when it hits on a Friday and we can have meat on Mm -hmm. Friday for celebration purposes. My kids all experience that, you know, because it's part of our domestic church, but it's part of our lives. And so then they can really experience feasting in a unique way.
0: Right, like the Friday after Easter, so awesome, meet Friday, you know, and and it makes it that much more meaningful and joyful. It
1: sure does. So another one that uh, we want to bring up, number five on our list, is First Friday's devotions, right? So the First Friday devotion has to do with going to mass on the first Friday of nine consecutive months, mm-hmm. so you go to first Friday, uh, you go to mass on the first Friday of nine consecutive months um, to petition uh, the Sacred Heart of Jesus for uh, final perseverance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that means that. We go nine consecutive months and Christ has promised that um, in, in adoration to his sacred heart that he will give us final perseverance. What that means is that we are going to die in faith you know yeah. mm-hmm. and what a beautiful and amazing um, thing that would that would be right yes. And so yeah. I know a lot of people who do uh, first Friday devotions just kind of in perpetuity you know mm-hmm. around the clock yeah. it's the first Friday of every month it's their devotion and their allegiance to Christ the King of Kings you mm-hmm. know in his sacred heart and they they bring that up um, but what a beautiful practice that the church has
0: yeah well and a lot of people say, well okay that's that's kind of inconvenient. There's, there's a lot of sacrifices you guys are talking about, you know, I'm standing for meat or <laughs> mm-hmm. fasting on Fridays, First Friday devotions, yeah. all these things. But listen, we make sacrifices all over the place yeah. in our lives for things that are important to us. Awesome. You know, we'll rearrange um, our, our whole week for a sporting event or a, a, mu- a concert of some sort or, you know, a, a game that we want to go to. But... When it comes to the spiritual life, we're so reluctant mm. to make any sacrifices. like just, oh really, like I have to give something up or I have to spend some time. But what better way to show what our priorities are in life? Yeah um, Co-workers may not understand, friends may not understand, family may not understand. And yet what we're saying is Christ comes first in my, in my life. He is the king of my life. And I'm going to show it through my actions, my time, and my treasure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And how consoling is it to us that with these First Friday devotions, um, the, the promise that on our deathbed, you know, we'll be able to, um, I believe it's even, we'll be able to receive, uh, you know, um, um the anointing of the sick and, um, mm-hmm. and supreme unction, you know, um, on, mm-hmm. on our deathbed, we'll be able to receive the sacraments and then, um, um, have final perseverance through that very, um, you know, difficult time, you know, in our yeah. lives. So
0: Well, and there's a relationship between effort and grace. Yeah. I mean, I remember as a Protestant, you know, growing up, like I always heard like, well, you don't have to do anything. Like God doesn't want your works. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the Catholic mindset. Our works aren't buying heaven or buying right. graces, no. But just like a parent who wants to see their child exert a little effort, mm-hmm. it's the same with God. Mm. Like God could give us graces without our efforts. He conceivably could. Yeah. But what he wants is our maturity, our growth, our strengthening of the soul. And that comes through effort expended. Like yeah. the more effort we put forth, the more our soul expands and grows. And God knows that. And so sometimes he makes it a little difficult for us. um, But the intention is our good and our growth and the maturity of our soul. So that leads to another devotion that takes a little bit of effort. Mm. Um, And that's the 54-day novena. I don't know how many people have heard of this, but it's a beautiful practice. 54-day novena, we've done several, um, my wife and I, for various intentions. Um, Every time we have a child... We do a 54-day novena yeah. for that child while they're in the womb for a safe delivery and for blessings on that child's life. But what it really is is you can say, well, a novena, isn't that nine days? Why? What do you mean 54-day novena? That doesn't make any sense. Well, what it actually is is it came out of a tradition where um, a young uh, man was sick and his family thought he was going to die and they were just desperately crying out to God, like, save his life. Mm. And they actually received... Um, a message from heaven that said, pray a 54-day novena. What you're gonna do is you're gonna pray three back-to-back novenas, so 27 days yeah. in petition, and then you're gonna pay pray 54 or three more back-to-back novenas, another 27 days, in thanksgiving for your answer to prayer. Mm. So in this case, at this young man in Thanksgiving that this young man's life was saved. Now, when they were praying this the prayers in Thanksgiving, they st- he still hadn't been healed yet. Mm. So they're giving thanks for an answer to prayer that hadn't come yet. But that's part of the devotion is that it's an act of faith that God will answer your prayer, and you're yeah. giving thanks for that in advance. So anyway, in com- combination, these six back-to-back novenas, three in petition, three in Thanksgiving are combined into 54 days. So that's really the approach is if you have a serious intention, it's hard. It's hard to be consistent for 54 days. Yeah, for sure. Um, But you have a serious intention. You go into the 54-day novena. It's really six back-to-back nine-day novenas. um, And it's a beautiful, beautiful tradition that has obtained many answers to prayer.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of these lengthier devotions. So with novena, for instance, when I was discerning... Um, my career, or actually asking God for uh, a salaried career mm-hmm. so that, you know, um, we could afford our children that we were <laughs> starting to have. Um, a, a priest friend of mine encouraged me to pray, pray a perpetual novena, mm. which is just basically pray a novena continuously for this intention. And then we offered to God uh, that the first vacation after I get that. Um, a job not that job a specific job but just a job that would give me a salary to help my family that our first vacation as a family would be go to St Joseph's oratory you know in Montreal like actually do you know put that forth as well and it was really beautiful. And we prayed it for two and a half years incessantly. Wow. Yeah. And um, it was a very powerful time in our lives of growth and faith and understanding and faith. Right. Yes. And some people might think two and a half years. Wow. That was forever. And I thought that too when I was going through right, it. I'm like, yeah. well, and so I just kept on taking side jobs and kept on, kept on teaching lessons and taking on more students to, you know, to support a family and, yeah. and, um, and but but God provided and in ways that I, I absolutely wouldn't have imagined or expected.
0: Yeah, and just, that's that's wonderful. But just a little side note for anybody yeah. who may be wondering where did a novena come from? Where did right. nine days of prayer come from? It's really the nine days after the ascension to Pentecost,
1: yeah,
0: where the disciples it says they gave themselves to fasting and prayer and. Really, in preparation for the for Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So it's really a devotion that's very much tied up with yes, Christ, but also the Holy Spirit, invoking the Holy Spirit, um, in remembrance of the nine days between the Ascension and Pentecost. Uh, when the Holy Spirit really revealed himself in all his powers. Yeah, the early
1: church and everything. And so another lengthy one that I'd be remiss if we didn't mention is Gregorian Masses, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it's 40 Masses for the soul of um, a dead person, yes, right? Right. And so these sort of traditions, and there are still actually places in the digital space. Um, you can go to, I think, Seraphic Mass um, is one of them. Just type in Seraphic Mass like .org or you know Google it, and you can actually offer up these Gregorian masses for the soul of a deceased relative, you yes. know, or someone died marked in the sign of faith, and and they'll actually perform those and. You know, can you imagine the the efficacy and the joy? You know, the the um uh, of the the most powerful weight of anything in this world, the mass. You know, being offered up forty times for an individual and mm-hmm. what that will do for for souls. And so, you know, if I pass away, I've got uh, I need to have a lot of people that are offering <laughs> up Gregorian masses, uh, uh, you know, for me. So
0: yes, yeah. So
1: another one that we wanted to talk about, uh, number three on our list is um things like the divine um offices or the you know the liturgy um of the hours oh yeah. the hours thank you
0: yeah different names yeah they, they people call it the you know the the divine office of the, you yeah. said or the liturgy of the hours or um but really what it is is the church has been praying the psalms uh since the beginning of the church yeah uh, the psalms were absolutely central to christian worship and they have been for centuries Now, you can bring the Liturgy of the Hours or the Divine Office, whatever you prefer to call it, uh, into your own devotional practice. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean, I mean, if you pray the whole thing, it's a lot. Yeah, Um, Monks and and nuns have prayed it since the beginning of the church, but it's a lot of prayers. Um, But you can also, there's also uh, prayers that laity have kind of incorporated into their spiritual life, such as laws uh, or prime or the morning office. Yep. Um, and then um, the uh, mid-afternoon office around wow. 3 o'clock. Um, and then the evening prayer or ves- or um, compline mm-hmm. um, is one that a lot of people pray before bed. It's supposed to be immediately before retiring. Yeah. Um, and, and those are beautiful. Um, but there's also little offices. Yeah. Uh, like the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary is, of course, a very famous one that a lot of laity have used just because it's shorter, yeah. less complicated. There's less less flipping but back and I forth for seasons and things like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, a lot a lot simpler learning curve. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's something that is very easy to incorporate into your spiritual life. Um, but a lot of people don't know about it. Um, I will say um, that both with the uh, Little Office of the Blessed Virgin Mary and with the Divine Office or the Liturgy of the Hours, there were some changes made to them after the reforms of Vatican II. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether you go to more traditional uh, Latin mass parish,
1: yeah.
0: um, you're probably going to want to find the traditional divine office where you pray the whole Psalms in a week. Mm. Now, in the new reformed version of the Liturgy of the Hours, it's not a week. I think it's three or four weeks to go through all the Psalms. It's spaced out a lot more. Um, the language has been revised, so it's a little more contemporary. Um, There's some other changes made, but it is different. And the same with the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary, there was changes made following Vatican II in which they um, rearranged some of the prayers, made them more contemporary, things like that. Mm. But there's also a traditional office of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which you can find from Baronius Press or things like that. Now, one thing I want to say, one last thing is that there's some very, very, very short um little offices out there they yeah. are hardly known at all yeah like little office of saint joseph or a little office to the saint michael the archangel yeah. um little office of the immaculate conception mm. these are super short you could literally go through the whole thing in like two three minutes Um, uh, for one hour mm. of 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 the prayers um and you can find them on this really cool website called um, We'll you put in the show notes yeah it's called Preces Latinae, okay, um, and it means Latin prayers. Yeah, and it's uh, it got a whole treasury of these like forgotten chaplets and and little offices and things like that. Very cool. Um, hardly anybody knows about them, but uh, they're very cool practices. No,
1: I love it, and I think again, it's like the Angelus that was prayed at noon. You know, is that the the idea here is that it's it's ordering your day in right. thanksgiving to God yeah. and His in in the in being forward with your gratefulness that you have been allotted this day to live in service of him and in love of him and others, right? And that's really the life that we have been given. And so Mm -hmm. when we don't do those things, we're kind of often left up to our own devices. And in that sense, uh, some people might choose this, that, the other, or they don't choose anything because it becomes too difficult to have to create it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that's why something like these little offices or the Liturgy of the Hours can be so powerful and useful in your day to be constantly reminding yourself. And I have very stressful days. You have very stressful days. And just to to stop, you know, at three o'clock or stop at six o'clock or, um, you know, depending on when it is uh, during the day or even... The Angelus at noon um, can help us remind ourselves that we are doing all things under confident abandonment to God's holy will, for at His service, for the kingdom, and for you know our salvation. So. Yeah.
0: Well, our next one is also one that's um, kind of fallen out of favor in recent times, but also very cool, and that's sacramentals. Yeah. Um, blessed chalk. Yeah. Um, blessed oil water and you're noticing a theme in all of these is that they're all natural elements yeah um, that are blessed um, and really revealing to us that the spiritual realm interpenetrates the realm of matter yeah a lot of times in our minds we just kind of divorce the two well the material world is over here and over here is the spiritual world and they really have nothing to do with each other yeah well, no. Actually, in God's order, they're very much intertwined, and sacramentals are a great way of reminding of this, Ryan reminding us of this, where oil, water, uh, salt—salt, yeah—they can all be powerful means of communicating divine graces. To That's us. right
1: communicating divine graces and one of them that i love to use in my family is exercised oil so mm-hmm. it's literally a, a oil that has um you know the prayer of exorcisms over it mm-hmm. so that when you utilize it for your children in my case it is to um uh, uh have demons flee from them right mm-hmm. and so there are story after story if you haven't read them about children that suffer from nightmares and they've mm. tried everything and the parents praying and things like that and then they start using exercised oil over their children mm. and um the nightmares disappear yeah and so that's one that i do in the evening mm. um there's also another oil that's personal to both of us
0: yeah one of them is uh really cool is saint Philomena oil yeah saint Philomena was a martyr and mm-hmm. she her body was discovered in the catacombs uh, but she's become a powerful healing saint. A lot of people have interceded to her to uh, heal them of various ailments. So um, there's a shrine of St. Philomena. Uh, I can't remember where it is, but you could probably find it online very easily. Yeah. But they they offer blessed oil mm-hmm. um, that uh, is, you know, has invoked the intercession of St. Philomena. And um, we actually use this uh, St. Philomena oil on our son who has a, a heart condition and every time we've ever taken him to the doctor for a checkup, the doctor says, I'm just, I'm absolutely amazed. You know, this this kid has won the lottery, so to speak, in the sense that anyone with his heart condition would have had to have serious surgery by now. And yet your son is, wow. is doing fantastic. Like, how is this possible? And I'm like, well, prayer and safe for me. It's not very uh, medically approved. And yet um, it's a powerful healing, healing oil.
1: Yeah, praise God. And that's a miracle. And I have um, a story myself is that, um, with our, um, child now, um, I guess 16 months, um, Joseph is his name. We found out that he stopped growing inside the womb. And so he had asymmetrical fetal growth, you know, issues where he contracted a virus in the uterus Mm. and his body was three weeks behind his head. And, um, and it was, it was terrifying. And so, my wife and I who've suffered miscarriages and things like that, we just instantly started praying and we turned to Saint Philomena oil and I every day blessed her womb while praying, you know, the prayer of the Saint Philomena oil, mm-hmm. you know, over her. Yeah. And um, and we just begged God uh, for the life of our child. And now he's here sixteen months, running around. He's yeah. he's short. He's he was he came out in the point four percentile. You That's know, so, um he is the tiniest little guy and it's adorable watching him walk around um, but uh, but we couldn't be more thankful and it was actually that same sacramental that Sam and I didn't even realize we had both used until preparing for this episode so
0: yeah. well that's that's an incredible um, well like the other sacramentals we talked about bless chalk you can bless your house an epiphany yeah uh, bless salt well you can sprinkle it around your house, house and, yep. uh, you, you can bake with it yep. I suppose um holy water you can bless your children we've talked about that on other episodes um or you can cross yourself with holy Mm -hmm. holy water Mm -hmm. um lots and lots of very cool uses for these sacramentals uh that god's given us to again remind us that he is the master of the material world that's right um and that he can communicate graces to us through these material elements uh, that can be so powerful
1: yeah and if you're suffering a physical ailment or something like that we encourage you to turn to lord's water right um mm-hmm. a water from from lords i had or um saint joseph's oil from uh montreal from the um, basilica there at montreal uh saint andre Bassette uh, used to put the the oil right there at the um at the foot of saint joseph and that oil and that holy water you can't even count the hundreds of thousands of people that have had physical ailments that have been healed because of those uh, two sacramentals. That's so So. cool, yeah. I think we're honorable mentions? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so that was number two. So for some honorable mentions that we we like, one of them that uh, we've talked about on a different episode, but feel important to mention here is uh, celebrating the Nativity of Saint John the Baptist.
0: Yeah, well, and traditionally uh, it's a, a feast day that I like mm. uh, because there's a, you have bonfire the night before. Mm-hmm. It's really close to midsummer. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, in the, in the medieval times, they would celebrate you know Midsummer's Eve and mm. things like that. Uh, but really, uh, it's it's during the warm months of the year um and you have a bonfire to kind of celebrate the the warmth of the season and you uh, in the in middle ages they would have all these these traditions where you, you know young married couple or young engaged couples i would say they would they would jump over the fire yeah. and ask saint john the baptist to bless their marriage yeah. and things mm-hmm. like that um uh but it's it's still a tradition that i enjoy like have a bonfire in your backyard with some friends and Hang out uh, on the feast of Saint John the Baptist. Uh, you can either do it the night before or on the day of, um, but either way, it's a very cool tradition.
1: Yeah, and Saint John came, Saint John the Baptist came to um, basically pave the way for Christ yeah. to come, right? And so we celebrate that. Oddly enough, it's connected to sacramentals, which we just talked about, and that you can have a priest obviously bless your bonfire, and it's an appropriate way of um, of um, of, I don't want to say throwing away, but of um, uh, disposing disposing of. of. Thank you. your are uh, sacramentals. So if you have scapulars or rosaries that are completely broken and everything like that, you can put it in the the bonfire at that time. And it, like you said, it's a really great way to connect and to celebrate. Yes. You know, yeah. um, uh, the the feast.
0: So. Yeah, Catholic traditions aren't all solemn and pious. Yeah. There, there can be a lot of fun involved too. That's right. So.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: one um, what other what other uh will mention is invocation of saints it's kind of fallen out of favor yeah but hey I mean saints are powerful they can they can uh, accomplish genuine miracles um, through the power of God and uh, invoke saints that's
1: right pick up Butler's Lives of the Saints it's like four encyclopedia volumes Open it up. You know the seven sleepers of Ephesus. You probably haven't heard some of these saints that are in there. <laughs> Find a couple that you've never heard of. I bet you no one's praying to them. They've got graces yeah. that they can be that they can help distribute. And I completely agree.
0: And there's a patron saint for absolutely everything. <laughs> That's, so. right.
1: That's right. So a final honorable mention would be first Saturday devotions. And so these five Saturdays consecutively um, to uh, basically offer up prayers. And atonement for sins against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So mm-hmm. we know that immaculate the Immaculate Heart of Mary um, in the end will triumph, and um, and Christ um, will be uh, the King of King of alls. But uh, for those who have um, desecrated statues or images or things like that of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we can offer up atonement, um, you know, for sins against the Immaculate Heart, and it's also a great way to remember. The immaculate heart yeah so all right
0: yeah. all right our last uh uh tradition that we should potentially revive and incorporate into our spiritual life is observing ember days and rogation Day. days so ember days are really about marking the change of the seasons back when uh, the culture was much more agrarian in nature yeah um people were much more in touch with the change of the seasons um, because it mattered yeah <laughs> um In spring, you would have ember days to kind of invoke God's blessing on the harvest, um, in which you invoke, you fast, and you invoke God's blessing through prayers um, on the harvest. And then in the fall, likewise, you have them. Um, And then in the winter, or the fall would be Thanksgiving for the harvest. And then in winter, it's prayer uh, for the year ahead. Uh, So really marking those major turns of the seasons. Uh, with prayer and fasting.
1: That's right. And one of the things with Ember Days in particular that we are to remind ourselves of is that God has given us the goods of his earth. Right. And we are actually uh, praying and fasting on Ember Days So begging God or asking God to help us use them in moderation, right? Because we have, especially here in America, such affluence. Mm -hmm. It's so easy for us to abuse them or pervert them, right? Because we have Mm -hmm. so much at our disposal. And so Ember Days can help us remind that. uh, It can remember that. And so uh, an easy way to remember the Ember Days is the mnemonic... um, Lenti, Penti, you know, Cruci, Lu- Lucy. And so it happens um, after Ash Wednesday on the Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday after Ash Wednesday. So that's Lenti. And then Penti right after Pentecost on the Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. And then Cruci for the um, Exaltation of the Cross, the the Solemnity of the Exaltation of the Cross. Right after that, we have it. And then St. Lucy's Feast Day on December 13th, um, we have... Uh, uh, right after that. And so yeah. that marks the calendar year. And again, it reminds us to use things in uh, moderation. Yeah. And so another thing you mentioned was rogation days, uh, where we are actually petitioning God um, to have mercy on us and to mm-hmm. help us avoid calamities in life.
0: Yeah, right. Well, and I think too, people in the past were much more aware of or your dependence on God. Again, you know, for the harvest, yes, but also just, you know, storms and things like that. They didn't have storm shelters. You know, they didn't necessarily have uh, insurance, um, you know, homeowner's insurance or things like that. And so a disaster could really, uh, a natural disaster could really, you know, destroy your life. And so they were invoking God's protection. They were asking for his mercy for their sins. And it was rooted in a real awareness of the sinfulness of a nation. Yeah. You know? But they would they, the Rogation days are usually marked with processions yeah. and prayers that are said during the procession. Um, and, and again, it's a very cool Catholic tradition that we've kind of lost touch with, but that uh, would be a wonderful thing for like a parish to take up again.
1: Yeah, exactly. And Rogation comes from the Latin word rogare, which means to ask. And that's exactly what we're doing. And so I got a fun story. Um, I just started, and so our listeners know, I just started celebrating Ember Days recently. Mm-hmm. You know, we as a family started celebrating Ember Days. And something Sam and I have talked about is that it's very helpful if you have a parish community yes. that celebrates these things, right? It's helpful to remind ourselves and to remember them. Um, there's the Catholic Life planner from the saint maker you know that kind of has them listed and yes. that, that can be helpful um if you don't have one of those and you're practicing it by yourself right then i encourage you to um uh, have charity on yourselves and the fun story is is that when we started practicing them um uh, it was on saturday and saturday is not a traditional uh abstinence from meat day for me and my family and so my wife was um, <laughs> she was grabbing chicken and she was putting it in her mouth and I said, "Oh sweetie, you know today's an ember day and it was so funny because she just looked at me and she just went uh, <laughs> and she just pulled the chicken um, out of her mouth and she took it uh, you know with humor as I did too. If that was early in our marriage, yeah. would, it would have been totally yeah, different uh, It would have been disaster. but we can take these things. Um, with with a certain sense of of um, uh, joyfulness and peace, you yes, know, within right. it now. So yeah,
0: and there's there's and there's literally thousands and thousands of traditions in church history that have developed that uh, we can draw from. But what's the point? I mean, it's really, yes, to enhance our spiritual life, to concretize it, to bring it from kind of the abstract, uh, well, here's what we believe, to practicing it in a tangible way in our daily life, and also to help us feel uh, connected or in continuity with uh, centuries or generations past. I think that's that we underestimate the importance of that. But the church is not just this moment in time, Yeah, the church that exists right now. The church is also includes all the ages past. Yeah. And when we can take up a practice that someone did 800 years ago or 500 years ago or 200 years ago and incorporate it into our own lives, it helps us feel connected to um, our forefathers in the faith. Um, and so these things can really enhance our spiritual life. They're not burdensome, no. but take them up to the extent that they're aiding and facilitating your relationship with Christ.
1: Amen. Well, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Sam, uh, for joining me as we discuss this. So we have the nightcap,
0: right? For today. Yeah. Well, it's it's a book that's dear to my heart and one that I've read many many times, uh, including before I was Catholic, uh, and that is the imitation of Christ. Uh, And as it says on the cover here, second only to the Bible, it's the most widely read spiritual work of all time. I'm not sure um, how you would gather that data, but (laughs) just based on anecdotal evidence, I think it's true. The Imitation of Christ is one of the most well-known spiritual books in history, written by uh, Thomas Akempis, and it is full of absolutely challenging but beautiful spiritual advice agreed um that will keep you absolutely grounded and they're they're short little paragraphs short little sections that's right it's not heavy reading um but you keep it on your nightstand yes keep it on your in your drawer at your desk at work yeah um you can pick it up flip it open to literally any section and just get an absolute gem that you can meditate on all day long we challenge you It will convict you. It will uh, help you reassess what's important in life. Uh, It's a fantastic book.
1: It is. And I've spent seasons of life with it, right? Mm -hmm. Where I will, like you said, have it on the nightstand or have it on my prayer um, stand and, and it'll stay there for like two years mm-hmm. and I'll turn to it um, five days a week, you mm-hmm. know, and I'll really just start going through it. And I've gone through it beginning to end, but I love what you say, because actually that's what I do now is I open it up and I just pick these small sections that are maybe two pages and I just read through them and I pray and I stop as I feel uh, called to within those. And I pray about that, you know, very similar as, as I do with scripture, Um you know, but um it's it's a really powerful um book, and I guess s- steeped in authentic um, masculinity, right? Now it's yeah. for everybody, but it really is because it um it helps um, focus our lives as all these um devotions and everything that we talked about. Uh, today can do uh, to center it on christ yeah so exactly well thank you for joining us and as we end every episode be a man be a saint